I, I, uh, I was thinking while we were singing um, the different images that were on the screen uh, behind the lyrics. You see a lot of uh, creation. And once again, we've been in Ephesians talking about that fact that um, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, Paul, acknowledged. And once again, I just want to encourage you, I, as I've been reading uh, God's Word, the Bible, it seems like that just keeps jumping out, you know, that message that in Isaiah 48, I, I read this yesterday, um, Verse 12, listen to me. I alone am God, the first and the last. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth, my right hand that spread out the heavens above. When I call out the stars, they all appear in order. And he's talking about idols, how we people, we tend to worship idols that are made by us and how it really, what a waste of time. And yet here, Isaiah is saying, this is what God says, that he's God. He laid the foundations of the earth. He spread out the heavens. And uh, he calls out the stars, and they all appear in order. Man, I just think that is so cool. I, I, that just is so cool. And uh, and so we just say, Lord, thank you for making everything. Yeah. You know? Thank you for making we, us, in your image. Why? Because we're hand-knit. We're, we're not coming off an assembly line. We're knitted together by the very hands of God. And uh, we thank him for that. Thank you for coming out to Live Church today and we hope you feel at home. It's, it's an interesting word, at home. We hope you feel at home. We've all been places where we feel uncomfortable. I have. But it's nice to feel comfortable. It's nice to feel at home. And Paul says that, that Christ will make his home in your hearts if we let him. He wants to be at home. And, um, and today, as every day that we come together, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, if I could get in everybody's face right now, in a nice way. I, I mean, that sounds a little mako, you know. No, when I get, in other words, eye-to-eye contact, I, I would encourage you to engage in what's being said this morning. Not because of me, but because it's God's word. And if you have a phone in your hand right now and you're texting or you're looking at social media, I'm challenging you to shut it down. Because God's spirit is here today and he wants to speak to you personally. And there is, there is there's interference being run to keep that from happening. Dude, if you understand it, that your soul is going to live forever. If you came here just to, hey, 
You know, hey, hey, you know, I have to be here. I'm counting the minutes down even now. Listen to me, you're here because God has it on his agenda that he wants to speak to you. I've been thinking about this for weeks and it's been burning in me. And you're going you're gonna to feel it. Because today it's got to come out. It's, uh, it's time. So, uh, in 1912, April 15th, uh, there was a passenger on the ship Titanic. And we all know what happened to that ship. That ship wasn't supposed to go down. It was uh, Pastor John Harper. He was a widower. He lived in England, and he had spent some time at Moody Church in Chicago. And, the, and they were looking for a pastor at the time, and he had gone back to England to be with his six-year-old daughter. And It was there that he received uh, the message for the invitation for him to come back to Chicago to, to speak. And to be the next pastor at Moody Church. So his future looked bright. Uh, if you know anything about Moody Church, man, it, it's historical. You could go downtown Chicago, and that's the place, man, that, that uh, D.L. Moody, you know, got things rolling. Uh, a lot of people put their faith in Christ. And so um, the late hours of, of April 14th, uh, the Titanic hit an iceberg, and, and of course it put a gash in the side of that ship where uh, they couldn't prevent it from sinking. And, 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 and so John Harper um, recognized that, that this ship was, it was doomed, so to speak. And so in the process, when people were being notified, yes, the ship is going down, and uh, the rest, those little uh, lifeboats were, were set out, uh, John got his six-year-old daughter safely on one of those uh, lifeboats. And he had the right to get on that lifeboat with her because he was the only surviving parent that she had. But he recognized that this was a God moment, that God had given him an opportunity for this urgent message. Because eternity was at risk here for so many people. And we know that over 1,500 people perished when that ship went down. And this is what John did. Once he got his daughter settled on that lifeboat, he began going face-to-face, face-to-face with passengers, uh, talking about the great love of Jesus Christ and, and encouraging them to put their faith and trust in Christ. And uh, in fact, he began shouting to fellow followers of Christ that if they had a relationship with Christ, they should stay out of those lifeboats and allow those who don't know Christ, who didn't know Christ, to get in in their place. And while that ship was going down, the ship's orchestra played nearer, my God, to thee. You should listen to that song sometime. 
Is that your heart's cry today? Nearer, my God, to thee. That's what God wants. John went up to one man, and he got ticked off at John. Man, he said, get out of here. Leave me alone. And John took off his own life vest, and he says, you need this more than I do. And gave it to the man. And John just kept on pressing passenger after passenger as the ship began to slip into the frigid North Sea. And John, seeing many of the passengers going into that cold water with he himself did, began swimming to whoever he could, as long as he could, talking about the love of Christ. And as you know, you and I have been given the freedom to either receive that gift or reject it. And one man in the water, he's in the water hanging on to, to, to floating stuff from the ship. Just, keep, just stay above. Told John to get away. And John moved away to the next person, but then he came back to that same man. And he urged him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that time, that man did respond and put his faith in Christ. How do we know? Because, because um, four years later, the Titanic survivors had a meeting in Ontario. They would just gather together. And the survivor, this man, told his story about John Harper. That's how we know about it. And he said that uh, I was the last person that had put their faith in Christ because following John speaking to me, he, hypothermia took its toll on him, and he went under for the last time. And um, as you know, we've been talking a lot about love, haven't we? Huh? We have. We've been spending a lot of time uh, talking about this topic, and this is what I've been mentioned a little bit on Wednesday night to our, our uh, the folks in our study. But Michael Brown, he's a theologian, Bible teacher, wrote an article, Love Warns, and um, just a clip from it. He says, Love wins, understood rightly, it is gloriously true. Love won on the cross. When God sent his son to die for the sins of the world, repaying our evil deeds with the supreme act of sacrificial love. John Harper on the Titanic had experienced the love of Christ, and that's what drove him. See, that's what drove him. He wanted others to, to hear that message of love. And... Um, and so he fulfilled that mission. He followed the example of Jesus Christ, by the way, which we read about here. Love wins every hour of every day as the same divine love breaks hard hearts and melts cold hearts and transforms the worst of sinners into the best of saints. And many of you here today have experienced that. 
I have. Man, when I, when I look back at my hard heart and my cold heart in, in realizing that, that, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. I remember being very intentional about resisting that great love. Love will win in the end. As forever and ever, the Father's family will enjoy his incredible goodness in a world without sin and suffering. But love also warns. And today it's a warning shot, friends. John Harper went into the water and he was warning people. The next step, so to speak, before it was too late. Love warns. Love wins, but love also warns. In fact, love that does not warn is not love at all. The parent who doesn't warn a chain-smoking child about the dangers of nicotine is not a loving parent. The doctor who doesn't warn a reckless patient about the dangers of their lifestyle is not a loving doctor. The preacher who doesn't warn his straying flock about the dangers of spiritual compromise is not a loving pastor. Love warns, and it warns loudly and clearly. That's why Jesus wept in public as he warned Jerusalem about the terrible judgment that was at the door in Luke 19. Oh, that God would deliver us from a crippling, compromising, man-pleasing mentality. But love wins because love warns. And if we walk in true love for God and our neighbor, we will warn. And I want to mix in a little warning, as you can tell, this morning. Richard Baxter, he was a a church leader in the 1600s, wrote this, If their houses were on fire, you would run and help them. And will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? A Scottish pastor in the 1800s, Robert Murray McShane, wrote, Oh, if we had more love to you, we would tell you more about hell. They do not love you who do not warn you, poor hell-deserving sinners. Oh, remember that love warns. I had a conversation with someone last week who had just finished reading the book Revelation. And how many of you know that's a cool book to read? Huh? And a lot of people get hung up on Revelation because it's so symbolic and it's, I mean, it's, it, it can be difficult to understand. But we talked about this as well. This is easy to understand. This is very easy to understand. And I think God wanted to make it very clear when it was read that it would be understood. There would be no foggy, there would be no gray matter about this is going to happen maybe or whatever. So here's the, here's the flare in the air that was ignored when the Titanic was going down by the ships around it. This is the flare in the air for you Because love warns. And so in Revelation 20, 10 through 15, it says, Then the devil, okay, 
okay, let's, let's stop. Do you understand that in seminaries today, the devil, Satan, is not being taught? That it's not real? He's not real? His existence is not real? Do you realize that? And it's in the Bible. So I ask you, is the devil real? Why? Because it's in God's word, right? He's your adversary. He hates you. He wants to suck the life out of you, man. And so the devil who has deceived them, do you realize that he's deceiving some of you this morning? He's deceiving you that you are not worthy of the love of God, that you have messed up so much that God could never love you. He's deceiving you. He's very good at it. Listen to where he, he goes. This is very clear. He was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. The beast is the Antichrist. The Antichrist that's going to go into the temple in Jerusalem and deceive the Jews. He's going to do miracles, and he's going to have the entire world to bow down and worship him. They're thrown into the lake of fire. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long is that? It's pretty clear, isn't it? But John doesn't stop there. The lake of fire was created for Satan and his demons originally. God doesn't want any human being to go there. That's, he wills that they don't. But because he loves you enough, he wants to give you the freedom to choose to receive that gift of salvation or reject it. So by you rejecting his gift of salvation, you are saying by your decision that you do not want to spend eternity with Christ. So why would he send you to a place where you don't want to be? So he's, you, you choose to go to hell with Satan and his demons. You choose that. Because, in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. This is a picture of the future, and it will happen. A white throne. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. Let's take a look at, at this book of life. Well, that's... That is an artist rendering of the book of life, but it looks pretty cool, doesn't it? I like the book of life because my name's in it. That should resonate with you right now. My name is in that book. I know without a doubt where I'm going. I know. No maybes, no hope so's. It's a done deal. He opens the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And here it is. Anyone whose name was not 
found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Is that clear? Do you understand that? Anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, just so you know, followers of Jesus Christ are not going to stand at the white throne judgment because we've already been judged at the judgment seat of Christ. This is the heart of God, and I believe it is endorsed as you read God's word, is that every person who's ever lived, their name is written in the book of life. Why? Because God desires them to be in heaven with him forever. And just like John Harper went from person to person, talking about the love of Christ and to put your trust in Christ he recognized that even on the last breath, you could say, yes, I put my faith in Christ. And a lifetime of rejecting him, the great mercy and grace of Christ, and forgive you. And if a person does not not choose to put their faith in Christ, their name is erased out of the book of life. It's not there. Oh, man, the heart. That's why John Harper kept going to people. That's why Jesus kept coming after me, you know? He kept coming after me. He wouldn't let go. He was relentless. And I'm so grateful for that, aren't you? And so... Love wins and love warns, friends. And that's, this is a long entry point, isn't it? As we get back into Ephesians. But we have to realize, when Paul is talking about when he's saying thinking right in number one in your notes in the back of your program, thinking right. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. He's praying, Paul is praying, and he's falling to his knees because he himself has experienced the great forgiveness and love of Christ. When he battered the church and he haunted the church and he destroyed the church, that's what he wanted to do, he experienced that great love of God. And so he, he says, I fall to my knees, and he prays. Why does he pray? Because he realized, like number two, that we needed to be empowered with inner strength through the Holy Spirit to be able to say yes for God to pour his love into us. It, it was, it's supernatural. Why? It takes a supernatural act for that to happen because God wants to do it, but there is such strong resistance by we human beings to push back, to push back, to reject. It takes, it takes that power of the Holy Spirit to break through that wall of resistance. He did it for me. And, and it goes with thinking right. Uh, David Jeremiah 
wrote, wrote this, life experience persuades us to believe that one of Satan's most effective strategies is to undermine our understanding of the love of God. He knows that our confidence in God's love tends to be fragile, dependent on whether we think our lives are going poorly or well. That God loves us when we please him and withholds his love when we fail. Satan wants to keep it that way because as soon as we stumble or encounter painful obstacles, he needs only to whisper a negative thought here and a half-truth there, and we find ourselves whittling the infinite love of God down to a poor substitute based on the assumption that the Lord of creation loves in the fickle way that humans do. And yes, some even here today you're dealing with that. That God is fickle with his love. But God's love is constant before, during, and after your stumble and through every stumble to follow. His love remains intact and perfect. If you could chart love of God, it would show as a straight line across the top of a graph, never dipping, never plunging, but remaining constant with a value of infinity. (sighs) To the max all the time. And, and I love the way Max Licato puts it. He says, he, d- d- listen to how he puts it. Every day I have the honor of sitting down with a book that contains the words of the one, capital O, who created me. What's that book? The Bible. That's what he's writing about. I have the honor of sitting down with a book that contains the words of the one who created me. Every day I have the opportunity to let him give me a thought or two on how to live. If I don't do what he says, he doesn't burn the book or cancel my subscription. If I disagree with what he says, lightning doesn't split my swivel chair or an angel doesn't mark my name off the holy list. If I don't understand what he says, he doesn't call me dummy. In fact, he calls me son and on a different page explains what I don't understand. Remarkable. I'm learning not to take these everyday miracles for granted. Aren't you glad for that? And so that's why Paul is praying. He's praying. That's why Jesus is even praying right now that you and I would have uh, the inner strength, the core of us, the center of our being. We would recognize that we need the love of God and that God wants to definitely pour that into us. And that's why in John 14, here's another reason why. Jesus says, all who love me will do what I say. Why, why is the, there's such a disconnect in Christianity today for followers of Christ who say they love Christ, not obeying what God's word says? Why is that? We say we love Christ. Jesus is, is, is putting his finger on it right now. He's saying, he's saying, all who love me will do what I say. You love me? Then do what I say. That's basically what I said. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. I love that verse. Obedience creates an environment for Christ to feel at home in our lives. Because we're so busy usually resisting that love and doing our own thing that Jesus feels kind of uncomfortable in that environment. He's waiting for obedience because obedience shows that we truly do love him. Do you see that? 
And then, number three, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. Well, we've hit that one pretty good lately, haven't we? Huh? Uh, the Christ will make his home. Uh, too often, we set up a guest room for Jesus just to come in on Sundays. You know, come on in on Sunday, Jesus. And then after we walk out to the parking lot, okay, Jesus, see you later for next Sunday, you know. That's not, that's not what's going on. Um, and so I don't know if you've driven down uh, 78 north into Black Earth from Mount Horeb lately. I, I, we went through there Friday, and something kind of jumped out at me. It wasn't a monster. It, it's this thing. Um, and, and at the bottom of this, I have my glove on because I don't know if this is poisonous. <laughs> and I don't, want, I don't want to get poisoned. But you see those white little flowers? I mean, they've kind of shrunk right now because they've been off the vine for a while. But if you look, if you look, if you look to the, to the uh, west as you head into black earth, you will see this is everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's growing over evergreens and it's growing over bushes. It's white, these flowers. And when you look at this roots, what kind of weed is this? This is a creepy crawler weed. That's the professional name for it because we don't know what it's called. <laughs> but you see this root right here? This root. Shane, tell me what happens on this root. Yeah, so this root will go down, and then what happens? That's why it's overthrowing the beautiful evergreens and bushes along 78. This is taking over because the root system is so aggressive. And I want to say this morning, love warns, if, you are, if your roots are not going down into God's love, you are creating an environment for weeds to grow and, and displace the great love of Christ in your life. And Paul writes in that verse that if our roots are not allowed to go down into God's love, we will be weak spiritually. We will be prey for the enemy. And so, listen, if you are not allowing your roots to go down deep into the great love of Christ, there is resistance going on in your life right now. This beautiful white flowering weed will consume you. It will show its ugly face one day where you flirt with everything else, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Because when you put your roots down into God's love, there is nothing that can take that place. It satisfies. It gives you contentment. It gives you security. And so I, wanna, I just want to encourage you, man, that... Um, 
Let, because look at verse 17 here. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. It's like an anchor. By letting your roots go down into God's love, by creating that environment of obedience and allowing those roots to go down, you're receiving the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment from God's love that will in, in turn give you the strength. It will keep you strong. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? That's, that's amazing. Number four, understand God's great love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. The power to understand. The power to understand. It's an interesting word because um, it comes from a, a Latin word, power, to understand. It means to grasp. If you ever go to the zoo and you see, you go to the monkey cages, man, isn't, that's one of my favorite places to go. And, and those monkeys, they have a grasping tail. Have you noticed that? They can hang by their tails, man. They get on a branch, whoo, and they hang on with their tail. And you think, how can they do that? It's because that's the way God created them. They have a grasping tail. It's a tail that can grab onto a tree limb and hold on. That's the imagery that Paul is saying, that you have the power to understand. You grasp it. So the power to understand, it's not that you just have knowledge, but you're grasping onto that. That makes sense to me. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Let's listen to this tune that has, says it all. Before I even said I'm sorry You made a way for me That just, phew. great song, great message. Just gives a little how, understanding how deep God's love is. It, it, it will change you. It will change you. Corey Ten Boom understood this. If you don't know who she is, then I'd encourage you to watch the movie The Hiding Place. Because her family, outside of Amsterdam during World War II, hid Jews in their home. And an informant turned them into the Gestapo. And the Ten Boom family was then sent to concentration camps. Corey's father died 10 days later. He didn't survive very long. And Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück, concentration camp, and Betsy was able to smuggle in her Bible, by the way, 
And they would have the ladies in their barracks get together at night and quietly discuss Romans 8. What shall separate us from the love of God? And Corey would later write, Life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God, grew daily better, truth upon truth. She says there is no pit so deep that God's love isn't deeper still. Even in a concentration camp, God's love sneaks in. You can't keep it away. And Corey and Betsy understood the great love of God in horrific living conditions. And where you are today, as Paul prayed, and we pray this morning that we will have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Do you have an understanding of that this morning? And so, Lord, we thank you that love wins and love warns. And I pray today, Lord, that individuals that might be just going through motions in life, going through a routine, I I pray that today there would be that understanding of Truly, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. Lord, you do want to make your home in our hearts. You do want to feel at home in our hearts so that our roots will go down deep into that love and keep us strong. That's our prayer today, Lord. We want, we want to be strong in our walk with you. And we need your power to do that. And you provide it freely. And we're grateful for that. And so today, may that be a miracle that we would have that understanding, have the power to understand that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.